Blog Talk Radio. shows um but actually i have to admit 
It's Jim Hutton. <laughs> I had a crush on him then. I still like him now. <laughs> That's so great. I love it. <laughs> he was so cute. There's an honest answer. Yep. I mean, I love the mysteries. I do. And they're very clever. Um, even now, I hadn't seen it in years, and I didn't get, I didn't know who the killer was right away or anything. Like, sometimes you watch a murder mystery, a modern one, and you go, oh, it's them. You get it pretty quickly. Um, unless it's really well written. And these were really well written. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Yeah, I have a hard time with um, with the modern ones because I find they're they're I'm, I have become so sensitive um, to any kind of violence. Like I just can't. It's the one thing I just can't. I can't really handle it, and um, and so I can't really. I can't get through that. What you know, there's usually some really traumatic opening that kind of sets up mm -hmm. the rest of the show. Even if the rest of the show isn't that scary or upsetting or violent or bloody or whatever, but that first thing, it, I just, then I go to sleep and then I dream about that thing all night and I just, it, it's hard, I can't take it, I can't take it to bed with me, so, so I just sit that out, I like, I, you know, I try to find, you know, the weirdo shows or like the independent weirdo things or the funny things or something, I don't know. I think that's why I like Gallery Queen is because... And even I saw an interview with William Link before he passed away, and he said that. He said that one of the reasons he loved the series was uh, it was during uh, children-friendly hour, um, but they had in the 70s. Yeah. So it wasn't violent. Um, and he said yeah. because kids had enough violence to deal with deal with, with Vietnam and, and stuff like that. And um, But the other thing was that a lot of it, you see somebody is about to get shot, you just hear the gun. You don't see them getting shot. You, you may see them after the after effect that someone's going to get strangled. You see somebody heading toward them, but you never see the action. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. well, mm, yep. That yeah. it, it, was, it was done very cleverly, so you never actually saw it. It was violence implied. It wasn't violent. Right. Yeah. And yeah. then That's the rest of the... The rest of the show is just, you know, uh, sleuthing. It's <laughs> <laughs> great, so great. <laughs> so that was one I found, and just I just like that kind of a show. I find, and, and like I said, maybe I'm weird. I just like the puzzle mystery. I like the puzzle. That's why I don't like horror movies. I like mysteries. I like thrillers, but I don't like blood, violence, any of that. Me too. Me too. So I just finished watching The Queen's Gambit, which is, I think it's the first, I don't have that much time, actually, to sit down and watch stuff, ironically, weirdly, even in a pandemic. I have managed to bake a lot of bread. That's the one kind of pandemic cliche that I have succumbed to. But even the, even the binge watching, I don't, it's just, I, I have, there's, there's too much. I have too many responsibilities. I have three kids. I, there's just not. I can't. And also, um, I don't let myself watch TV during the day. It just runs counter to my work ethic. And then after school, there's children and there's things to do and they need things and, you know, we're making dinner or I'm helping somebody with a project or something. And also, you know, most of the shows I want to watch, even if they're not violent, they're probably not appropriate for, like, a 12-year-old, you know? So um, so in some ways, the pandemic has kind of cramped my watching because they're around all the time. Um, these wonderful people that I share a home with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so finally, The Queen's Gambit was the first one that I watched through, and wow, wow. Wow, it's so good. It's so, so good. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Is that, like, on regular television or streaming? Because I, I don't get much... I don't have many streaming services, so I can't watch that. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I think it is. I think it might be Netflix. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. We have some bundles, so I, I don't really pay very much attention to what 
unless it's some, on something that we don't have. I just, I, I'm not, I think it's Netflix, I'm not quite sure. Um, but it's, it's divine, it's delightful. It's about a, um, a young woman who's an amazing chess player, and it takes place in the 60s, and this actress is spectacular. She's been nominated for everything, and she deserves it. She's so good. I've heard of that. I saw it on Graham Norton. I saw it on Graham Norton. I heard about that. I didn't know it was on Netflix. (laughs) It might not be, because I'm notoriously bad at remembering details like that. (laughs) So I'm not sure. But you would find it. If you you looked for it, you'd find it. I love that kind. I hope it... I hope it comes on my cable <laughs> or on yeah, demand, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I can see it. See, the only things I have, I have Acorn and BritBox, and the only reason I have those is because I love British shows. <laughs> oh, that's great! Yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, no, I I haven't seen that. I love I love that. I love Downton Abbey. I thought I thought that was one of the movies I saw before everything shut down. <laughs> That's so great, yeah. Yeah, I saw three movies before everything shut down. I saw Downton Abbey, I saw Miss Fisher, uh, and the Crypt of Tears, and I saw Escape from Pretoria. And then the world shut down, and I didn't see any movies. <laughs> right? Yeah, that that. Uh, it'd be hard to say what I miss the most, but um, but seeing a film in a movie theater with other human beings around, wow. You know, I was thinking the other day, um, so we went through this a hundred years ago, right? We went through yep. a two-year pandemic, the Spanish flu. Mm-hmm. Many, many people died, great loss and suffering, and then came out of it and, and just like banged right into the 20s. and. Jazz and and now, sort of looking back, you you have a different perspective on how desperately everyone needed that music and those parties and the dancing and the fabulousness and the fashion and everything else. So I sort of wonder what's coming next for us. What how we're going to celebrate when we finally get to to leave our homes? Yeah, um, I I agree. But I also I think it's so interesting looking back. I you know I never. I never heard or read about the 20s in the context of the pandemic, and it seems like, I mean, it was just five minutes before, it seems like it must have had a tremendous influence on the way people felt, you know, in the the years right after. It was a combination of that and the end of World War I, because there was a great loss of uh, people from World War I, too. Uh, A lot of... uh, Men, but women too, because there were nurses and ambulance drivers that were women. So there was a yeah. lot of people that passed away or lost yeah. their loves or their children or their sisters or their brothers. And then on top of that, they survived, they got home, they may have had like problems, but they were home, and then boom, the Spanish flu. I know. Amazing, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. So, it's so sad. Yeah. And then, yeah, the twenties was the twenties we know of didn't really happen until like twenty three or twenty four. It was after twenty two when they discovered King Tut because all the hairstyles and jewelry and makeup and a lot of the clothes came from Egyptian mania. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. That's so great. So that Louise Brooks haircut comes from King Tut. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. If you look at the friezes and the um, hieroglyphs and the paintings on tombs, you look at the women's hair, uh, it's wigs because they shave their heads. But if you look at the women's hair, they're all wearing bobs. Wow. That's amazing. That's so interesting. And I you look no at the idea. and you look at the Egyptian makeup. Look at the eye makeup. Yeah. That's that was the twenties. Yeah. Oh my god, it's brilliant. I love it. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. So that that was one of the it was it, it, only good news that they had was this great discovery of a complete tomb in Egypt that really affected uh, both Europe and the U.S. 
Um, in fact, a lot of stuff that uh, Coco Chanel got inspired by was also not the clothes so much, but the jewelry was inspired by uh, the, that, and it's all kinds of stuff. It's really fascinating. So interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So let's yeah. hope we have some kind of amazing renaissance with all these creative people with nothing to do. Maybe... Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there'll be something, I don't know, uh, uh, something from SpaceX, what people on Mars would wear or something. Because <laughs> our only good thing was the shot, the SpaceX made it up and got to the yeah. space station and hooked up and everything safe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, another, another wonderful thing about this time has been we've seen that we really... We have the capacity to make dramatic changes when, when forced to. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that we could do this for this long, I mean, you know, in as imperfect and bumbling of a way. Um, but, you know, if we want to really make some serious changes, some real serious commitments to the planet and to climate change, you know, we can do it. And it's a perfect time. And I'm I'm hearing more and more people getting serious about that and about using this opportunity to to rethink how we go back because we're not going to go back we're going to go forward and what does that look like? I think that's really exciting. I think one of the lessons of the pandemic is that really all we have is each other. Yeah. We are one planet. We are one people on one planet, and it's about time we matured enough to realize it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Viruses don't care about boundaries. You know, the difference between this country and that country. They don't care. Or anything. It, it doesn't yeah. care about any of the the social structures that, that humans have created. And remember, we created it all. <laughs> <laughs> all all the nationalities, religions, uh, all the different kinds of uh, values of what people are and people are uh, rich, poor, blah, 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 blah. We created all that. Yep. And the virus yep. doesn't give a poop about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's affected. So maybe exactly. we'll and grow up. We're only as we're only as safe and as healthy and as prosperous as our neighbor, you know, and, and really as the most vulnerable among us. And we, we have to take care of each other. Yep. We're we all we do. have. I mean, it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do, period, full stop. Yep. But then also, it's also the smart thing to do. And if we just want to be self-serving, it's also the most self-serving thing to do. See, I just kind of hope that we, I know it's, it's a lot to ask, but I wish we'd move away from self-serving. I mean, yeah. the me generation is, this is some of the results of all that encounter of me, greed is good, and all that stuff. This is some of the uh -huh. results of all of that so-called new value system. Well... So far, it's not been very good or successful. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it's also, I mean, look at the rates of depression and anxiety. It's not, it doesn't, you know, I mean, we can do better. We can really, really, really do better. We have to. We have yeah. to. We really have no choice. We have to. Yeah. If yeah, we're going exactly. to get by and, and survive what we're going through right now, we have to grow up as a country, as a world, as every as a planet. We have to, and we have to take care of our animals and and the forest, the Amazon, and the other uh, and the coral reefs. Do you, how much life? That's like how we get our oxygen. Is the Amazon and the coral reefs are the two most important things, and they're both in super danger. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We need to take it seriously, and now's a, now's the time. Now's the opportunity. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I remember that I was really awoken about ecology from a science fiction comedy movie. 
Wow. I was a kid. I was a teenager. It was Star Trek, The Voyage Home, George and Gracie the Whale. Um, <laughs> wow. That was when I realized, and I was like 17, 18, I think, or something like that. I was a teenager. I was, no, I was in college. I was about 19 uh, when that movie came out. And I realized what happens in that movie with the alien coming and looking for the whales and the whales being gone because humans destroyed them by the 25th century. What they were doing was basically taking all the water up so they can find their friends. And you and I was like, we're doing that now. Everything that they were showing in that movie, it was awful. And I still flinch when they show the scene, but it was important. Uh, she's showing how whalers and whaling was, and ha what they did and how they destroyed it and stuff like that. And I realized we're doing that. And do you know that because of that movie, it was one of the things that stopped the whaling from Russia and Japan? Oh, really? Yeah, it was a Amazing. big movement from people. There was, well, Star Trek is a huge fandom. And there was a huge movement within Star Trek fandom to do something about whaling. So it, they added to the already uh, ecology movement that was already there. And there was a lot of um, petitions. Um, of course, they had more enlightened leaders in, especially in Russia, with and drop off and stuff like that. But, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, it stopped the whaling. So people can do something through entertainment, and that was all Leonard Nimoy's idea. Yeah. Oh yeah, representation matters. That's why I keep coming back. <laughs> you know, I really yeah. I really think it's. I think it matters. I think it's powerful. I really do. And it's something that is so true. I heard Mel Brooks say it, and it and and that also was a comedy. It was it was one of the few Star Trek movies that was funny throughout almost the entire movie. Um, comedy mm -hmm. is more powerful than hitting people over the head with drama. Yeah. 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 That's why he well, all his anti Nazi movies are all funny. Mel Brooks. <laughs> I mean, he's just a delightful, isn't he? He is. He's like my dad used to call him the sage. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> because he he, he okay. was teaching. He was basically teaching through his comedy. You you don't see it if you're only looking superficially at it but if you look at something like To Be or Not To Be or um, even Blazing Saddles which was about uh, a, um, racism um, but it was one of the funniest movies <laughs> it was really out there <laughs> he broke the fourth wall and went into a movie studio I mean it was hilarious, but it was against racism. And Richard Pryor helped him write. He, was, he wanted him to play Black Bart, but the studio wouldn't do it because of his drugs. But he wrote that movie. He, he and uh, Mel Brooks wrote that movie together. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And if you ever seen the movie, do you remember the end where Black Bart and uh, the, the gunfighter, the uh, Gene Wilder plays, I can't remember his name. Uh, they go to a limousine, the limousine driver uh -huh. that opened, that's actually Richard Pryor. That was the only thing, non-credited thing, because he, they didn't have to pay insurance for it. What? Oh, my God, that's amazing. I didn't know that. So they snuck him in. <laughs> Beautiful. That's so good. I know. So yeah, I know. But that was the, that was how uh, Mel got him into the movie. It was the only way he could, because everything else, he ha even extras had to have some form of insurance. And, uh, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't cover him. So, I had no idea. So that's amazing. He uncredited. It's from a distance, so you can't see it's him. But Mel Brooks kind of gave it away after Richard passed. He goes, he told that it was Richard. <laughs> <laughs>
That's so great. I love it. But yeah, he wrote that. He wrote all that. Um, especially, um, he he actually uh, Mel said, "I need you." So wow. Um, and there's a great line in um, "To Be or Not to Be." It's one of my favorite lines. He said, "Without Jews, gays, and gypsies, there is no theater." Yeah. Well, that yes. Yep. And I would add the Irish, but gypsies get folded into that too, because a lot of a lot of Irish became gypsies too. Yeah. Well, there was a lot. Uh, I'm from my half. Romanian family, there's a lot of uh, there could, I don't think there were Jewish gypsies, but there might have been <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe I mean, they were both targeted by by the Nazis we know that Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's another scary thing is the targeting of people Catholics, Jews gypsies intellectuals and uh, children and handicapped of any type. Yeah. Those are yeah. the targets of Nazis and genocide of people from history seems to learn from that unfortunately. And repeat it you mean? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And also political opponents. Yes. Yes. Right? Because yes. we, we, we see the beginnings of this happening again here yes. now. Yes. We, see, we saw a lot of it in the last four years, unfortunately. It's terrifying. It is. It's sad. Yeah. We're at a really important moment in our history. Which way are we going? I the mean, good thing is, you know, we have, we have the majority of people are on the side of democracy. Yes. <laughs> you know, the majority of people don't actually want fascism in this country, thank God. Thank but, God. Um, but it's a scary moment, isn't it? It's a very scary moment. And anything yeah. that is, I find this interesting, is that anything that is uh, good for er uh, people that aren't rich, they call communism. Yeah. Or socialism, but to them that's communism. And yep. I'm like, so FDR to you guys was communist or socialist? It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's incredible, isn't it? It's just remarkable. It's so crazy. Oh, it's just our JFK, you know, these, these people that did things to help people. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. History, it's like uh, the old adage, if you don't learn from history, it's doomed to repeat. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And that's another thing, book burning. Yep, that's terrifying. That one really scares me. And and you know I'm a big book, not just am I an advocate for books on uh, my show, but I'm also a lover of books. I love books. I've eat them, basically. <laughs> I read a lot. Um, I love history. I studied archaeology. Um, I love astronomy. Um, and the things that we're discovering in archaeology and astronomy are so exciting and so wonderful. And you, you wish that people would focus on things like that. You know, yeah. what's going, how did the universe come? What is our part in the universe? Are there other planets like ours? Is there life out there? They're getting information on that, and it's getting close. And then history is like archaeology, and are we, where did we come from, and who were our ancestors, and what can we learn from the destruction of these people or uh, the creation of these people. There, there's so much to learn. Stop focusing on bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. It's, that's been, it's been a real challenge in the last four years because I do think it's very important to be aware of what's going on and to 
um, you know, not stand for injustice, and that's really, really, really important. And also at the same time, I don't want to give attention. You know, I the the man who lived in the White House for the last four years really feeds on attention more than anything else. I think he like he consumes it, and so um, as much as I try to speak out against injustice and 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 speak up for the things that I believe in um, I made a very concerted effort not to um, not to give the sort of the dark ugly stuff my attention I tried really hard to promote the light workers the people who are doing great things you know the first responders and the you know, the, the people who are speaking the truth and standing up for people who can't rather than uh, shining a spotlight on the people who are being horrible. You know, it's it's not always easy, and I don't always succeed in that, but I try. I try to give keep my attention in the light, you know? I know, and I also like to... I, I try to... T- I, I don't mind talking about... I try... Um, this is more political than I usually am on my show, but... Um, I yeah, tried. I went there, Terry. Sorry. It's <laughs> I okay. Went right into it. Um, but I, it's I, it's this moment really. It it's, is. It's almost impossible not to. Yeah. I try to focus on the good, like SpaceX, um, or uh, us getting back into um, ecology and uh, recognizing uh, uh, the greenhouse effect and. Um, and the climate, the Paris Climate Summit, and things like that. That's positive that we're doing that. That we're the kids. You know, ninety percent of kids are focused on that because it's their future. They're smarter than the adults. <laughs> oh my! So much smarter. So much. I mean, back to my daughter. I can vote finally. When can I? When can I? I have great hope. It's not fair, you know, to pin the hopes <laughs> on them because really it's our responsibility. But I do have great hope um, in in what they're going to be capable of because they're so they're just so awake and they're just so smart and thoughtful and kind and considerate and they, boy, they've just grown up in such a different world. You know, I mean, the first president that they remember is Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. It's a very different world than, you know, than the one I grew up in. So I do have great, um, great hope. If I tell you who the first president I remember, it'll age me incredibly. <laughs> of course, the first one. Of course, the first one I remember is Jimmy Carter. First one um, I remember. I was alive when Nixon was president, but I don't remember him. First one I remember, but I didn't know what was going on because I was a little girl. Was Johnson. Uh huh. But mostly I remembered he. But I But mostly I remembered he kept interrupting my cartoons and my shows. <laughs> well, so you had your priorities in life. Of course. I mean, how dare he interrupt Bewitched? Um. <laughs> oh my God! Such a good show. I know. I love Bewitched. Is that why your cat named Piewacket? Is that why your cat's Pie? Sort of. Oh, wait, that's, right. that's, that's That's not bewitched. That's a different. That was that was witchy. that was Bell Book and Candle. Bell Book. I was going to explain. Yeah. yeah, Bell Book and Candle. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, Kim Novak, Elsa Lanchester, Jack Lemon, Ernie Kovacs. I mean, such an amazing cast. Anyway, uh, Piwak is her cat. Is uh, Kim Novak's as Gillian's cat um <laughs> and I always loved that name I thought it was the coolest name and so I waited until I I had a cat that fit in looks and attitude and trouble <laughs> every way she's a pie wagon <laughs> so great I grew up with a pie wagon when I was a little girl um Really, really little. I mean, I I don't really even remember her, but yeah, such a good name. I loved it. I thought so. Um, I I always loved that movie. 
Actually, I say that, and people say, I say that's one of my favorite Christmas movies because it takes place during Christmas, and they're like, what? I go, well, <laughs> it does. It takes place. It's at Christmas time. They give Christmas yeah. presents. There's a Christmas tree of sorts. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. <laughs> but I just, I love that movie. I love it. And do you know how that movie came about? It's really interesting. Uh, I don't, it, I don't know that I've ever even seen it, and I had no idea what an amazing cast it has. Oh, it's am- no amazing. Uh, uh, it, it's a really good movie. First of all, if you ever see it, grab it. Uh, yeah. Because it's 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 just amazing. But yeah. um, Kim Novak worked at Columbia, and uh, Jimmy Stewart, I think he was at Paramount. And Paramount was working with Hitch to do uh, Vertigo, and they wanted Kim. So Harry Cohen may have been one of the biggest creeps that ever lived, but he was a great negotiator. He said, I'll tell you what, I will let you uh, uh, contract Kim Novak, but we get to contract Jimmy Stewart for a movie right after. So that's how Bell, Book, and Candle came (laughs) Amazing. Direct result of Vertigo. Amazing. That's so cool. Is that cool? I well, it's not my knowledge. I found that out from Ben Mankiewicz on TCM. But um. (laughs) amazing. So great. So good. See, that's why I love. I love watching TCM because they, uh, especially when they, the parts where they introduce movies, even if I've seen it a thousand times, I like to watch the introduction, especially if there's a new host, because you get different perspectives, and they have different stories. And I also like to watch the behind the scenes on DVDs. Um, I love the behind, I love the, the lore. And TV and movies are much more to me than just what you see that's displayed for you. It's the people who are creative who brought it together, the writers, the directors, the producers, the studios, the the, the entire thing, the, and the background, and, and uh, why things were created, like CinemaScope was created because they were scared of television. I mean... To me, that's fascinating. It <laughs> is so interesting. It's so interesting. So that's well, how I found you it out. do that too. You you um you talk to all kinds of creatives, right? Like didn't you talk to Stephen Sears recently? Yep. He's a producer, writer, and am I right? Yeah, you, yeah. You, I just you, talked to him. I talked to Stephen, and I talked to Adrian Wilkinson. <laughs> yeah. And I talked yeah. to I've talked to T.J. Uh, Scott. And uh-huh. I talk to a lot. I like talking to people in different parts. I talk to writers. I talk to cinematographers. I talk to costume people. Um, I talk to uh, uh, photographers and artists. Of uh, I'm talking about like fine art artists and all different kinds of people. I like that because we're all creative. Everybody's creative, and if maybe if if anybody that I talk to sparks someone else's creativity, that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. For but, sure, for sure. But you are so cool, and you are, and several things I love. But you know, you're most popular as Aphrodite. Um, oh. I have a question. You know, the, you, the Xena convention has been moved again to December. Yeah. I, know. I know. Are you going? I plan to. I mean, you know, I can't plan beyond next week, but I, I, at the moment I don't have a conflict because who the hell knows what's happening then, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, my plan is to go. They, you know, they they asked me and I said, yeah, so... Um, we'll see what happens. Oh boy, very exciting. Do you? Um, okay, I've asked you about Aphrodite before, but I haven't asked you about your relationship with your fans about 
the character. Do you get a lot of email and letters and stuff like that about Aphrodite? And do you have any interesting stories about meeting the fans that touched you or shocked you? <laughs> oh, um, I have gotten lots of lots of letters over the years. Um, you know, I used to get them. My agents would just kind of like forward them on, um, and they're always. I mean, the vast majority of them are so sweet and um, and touching. I mean, it's 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 a really interesting um, relationship as an actor because um, you know I don't look in um, the way people see me changes dramatically depending on what my hair is doing, what color my hair is, how long it is, what I'm wearing. You know, like, I'm one of those people who kind of transforms a bit. Um, it's just I have one of those faces that kind of can look different depending on what else is kind of placed on me and always has been, And um, which is one of the reasons I've had every single haircut and color you can imagine because it <laughs> has just been so much fun. Um, so I really didn't... You know, even back then when we were shooting the show and it was on the air every week, I I really I only got recognized twice. And really, one time was someone <laughs> I was at the record store back in the day when we had record. It wasn't a record store; it was a CD store, music store. And I was buying a CD, and the um, person behind the cash register had been kind of staring at me and thinking like she looks familiar. And then he looked at my credit card and was like, oh, I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> so he recognized me off of my credit card. And then the other time, the one other time was, um, I was, oh, I was at a book signing for a writer, and, you know, and um, and really there to hear her speak. She was so wonderful, and I was standing in line to get her to sign my book. <laughs> so I was waiting in line to get someone else's autograph, and then someone else in line saw me and was like, I know who you are. So that was pretty funny. Obviously, when I did, when I would do convention or something, people would, you know, they would see me on stage, and then they would know what I looked like, you know, because usually my hair was short or some other color or something. Um and you know the 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 fans have always been just so lovely, so lovely, so supportive, so kind, so interesting, really fun. Um, it's a weird relationship because, especially while we were shooting it, you know, I mean, I lived in L.A. where I was one of seven thousand actors, so. Um, you know, you didn't get kind of like special treatment for being an actor in L.A. because there, everybody was. And nobody recognized me. So I didn't really have the experience of, of what it felt like to have that kind of um, relationship to people who don't know you recognizing you. And unlike uh, um, if you do a, a play, you have that moment at the end of the play where you have your curtain call, which is always fun and gratifying and lovely. But but more importantly, I feel like there's an important moment that happens between the actor and the audience. Um, and I feel this both as an actor and as an audience member. I feel like it's an important moment where they can acknowledge one another. And really, it's a, um, it's a reciprocal relationship. The actor gives and gives and gives and gives, but gives because there's a, an audience there who receives... And it, it's an important communication, and, and you're also communicating the ideas of the director and the ideas of the playwright. It's, I, I, I really feel like it's a kind of a sacred communication. And so that moment at the end with a curtain call is a moment for the audience to acknowledge back and for the performers to acknowledge and thank the audience. And um, early in my career, someone told me about this kind of, it's like an Eastern, maybe Buddhist, I don't want to bastardize other people's religions, so I want to be careful there. I'm sure I'm going to get it wrong because I learned this like 30 years ago, but that the bow has like three parts to it. And the first part, your head is up towards the sky and is acknowledging um, kind of your, your place in the universe and... Um, the heavens and your relationship to everything else that has contributed to this moment and then as you lean forward 
you're acknowledging the person opposite you, and then as you bend all the way down with gratitude and humility and saying thank you. So it's really, a, um, it's not just getting up and taking a bow. There's a lot to it. That's the way I see it. And we don't do that in TV. Um, so early on when I did my first convention, I was so overwhelmed. I almost burst into tears when I got onto stage, all these people clapping for me and I didn't have anything prepared. I didn't have anything to do. I didn't have lines or blocking or, or a character or anything like that. I was just, they told me you were going to do a Q&A. And so I just, it was, it's a very, very overwhelming experience. We get used to it and we kind of get our, um, our energy and we figure out how to do it and we realize, um, you know, this, the kinds of stories that people like to hear and everything. But the first time I did it, it was really, I went home and cried. <laughs> so much energy to take in um, but I thought of it I, I decided to think of it as a as a, a curtain call and so much energy because of so many curtain calls um, had sort of been building up and that energy needed to be exchanged it's really a beautiful thing that's a very long-winded answer to your question no, it's um, great. But those are some of the things I've thought about over the years yeah I love it and it's really interesting because from a fan point of view because I've been to a convention since I was about 20, 1920. Um, and that was Star Trek. But um, the first convention I was at, Gene Roddenberry was still with us. And it was fascinating. Uh, Bill Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, Dee Kelly, everybody was excited and screaming and all that. Gene Roddenberry, everybody's excited and screaming, but when he was about to talk, I had never seen it before. Everybody became silent. Mm. It was like, it was like, you know, the great god of the galaxy, bird of the galaxy, or whatever they used to call him. I mean, he, the bird, the great bird was going to speak. Um, <laughs> but but it was it was interesting and it was weird. He, I mean. And now that I've met screenwriters and and producers, people in the position that he was in, it must have been strange for him too, because most people don't get that, you know, they don't get that, not just love, because he got the love when he came in, but the absolute listening and taking in every word he said, it was... I mean, you know, he's a human being, he's fallible. It must have been strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's it's a lot, it's a lot of energy. It's a lot to take in. It really is. It's also beautiful, and I also, I feel like I need to acknowledge um, the lesbian community because they're, it's that's a big, big part of the Xena fandom, mm -hmm. and... Um, I think it's important to acknowledge, and that's been amazing to be embraced by that community and supported so much, and also to watch the relationship kind of evolve. You know, a lot has changed in our culture since um, the show first came out, when it was subculture, if you dare speak that word, you know, and now... Uh, and now we have gay marriage, and now we have so much more normalized, and it's been really beautiful to um, to watch all of that evolve, and I've been very grateful to be able to be part of, insofar as this show has been a little bit part of that history, I've been very grateful to be part of that. The I remember when I was watching it, and it was interesting because the the relationship between Gabrielle and Zena was subtext. It wasn't yes. text. It was subliminal. And um, the fan fiction, it was text. But right. <laughs> there was just, that was I'm it. Like, right, for like finally getting out and saying it, right? Yeah. But it, in the show, it was subliminal. It was it was there even the uh actors didn't realize it was there i mean i mean listening to lucy and uh renee talking saying well we really didn't we we always went for the love but we didn't realize it and we're great when we think it's fantastic but no we didn't see it <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was kind of interesting <laughs> 
isn't that funny? I mean, because now looking back, it's like, how could you not see that? It's pretty, yeah. But, but, um, but I mean, I that mean was the world we lived in. But it's also, they were they were too busy doing their part to really think in right. those terms. They were more like, yeah. okay, where's the love in the scene? Okay, that's what we're going to play. Da-da-da-da, let's do this, let's do that, da-da-da-da. And, I mean, they're not, I'm sure you weren't either thinking, oh, well, I have to do this because fans want it. You know, you're not thinking in those terms. No, no. <laughs> no you don't you don't do that. If you start doing that, you're going to lose your mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, and also, and those guys especially, then they've also got, you know, hours and hours of training for, a, you know, learning the stunt choreography for the next day's fight scenes and then, you know, working on next episode's script. And, I mean, they just, that, it's a lot of work, a show like that. You know, and and we were shooting 22 episodes a year. It's just a lot. It's nonstop. You don't have too much time to step back, I don't think. And they don't you know, do that I, anymore, I, 22 episodes. You're lucky if no you've one got... Today. Yeah, I mean, you're lucky if you can get a show with 10. <laughs> yeah. I know. We, I know. We blitzed through... Modern Love is the other one I watch. Blitzed through every single episode of Modern Love and then went like, wait, 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 where'd it go? And The Morning Show. Those are the three. In the morning show, wait, 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 and then of course, and then pandemic happened, and then everything stopped. Oh, I know it's just like um, one of the, I I like um, the, there's a spinoff from Miss Fisher called Miss Fisher's Modern um, Modern Mysteries, and then there's another show with Lucy called My Life Is Murder. They're both coming back. And I saw it, and I got really excited, and it says coming in 2021, but it doesn't say the date. And I'm like, oh. I know, it's like those big T's on Acorn. It's like, <laughs> and I'm like, when? Well, you might not know, too, <laughs> right? I mean, unless they've shot it all already. The shooting is its tricky. It's hard. Uh, I they're shooting. I know. I I haven't seen any um, behind the scenes from my life, but the two stars from um, uh, Ms. Uh, Fisher uh, Modern, they've been showing some scenes. So I know that they're shooting. I know that they're still shooting. Yeah. But um, good. Yay! But, good. 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 But I don't know about Lucy's show because they haven't seen anything yet. I, I mean, I only reason I I knew it got renewed and I knew they moved it to New Zealand mm-hmm. and that's about it. <laughs> oh, that, well, that will make it a million times easier. Right? I mean, New Zealand has done a really good job with uh, navigating COVID so they'll be able to, I mean, They'll be. They'll have a much easier time shooting there. I think. I predict. I don't know. I'm not a fortune teller, but that that would be my guess. Yeah, and it's kind of sad because it was. It was kind of cool. I don't know how they're going to do it because Melbourne was like a character in the show. I don't know if you've ever seen it. My life is murder, Lucy show. I haven't known it yet. I need to see. Oh, it's really good. And there's only like again, it's only like ten episodes. Oh, cool. But it's really good. I think you'll like it. Very. Yeah. She is. She is more her than I've ever seen her. More Lucy. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I, I. Her humor. Uh. You can. It's yeah. every once in a while. It's so funny. And and I and I've noticed this with a lot of actors I admire and I've seen in a lot of shows. There's certain things that a person does all the time that just goes into every show that they do, even Uh though they don't mean for it to. But if you're Uh a fan, and and you don't always notice it the first time, but if you've seen it like a couple of times, you start noticing more stuff. And you see like a way that someone puts their hands behind their head to lay back, or they roll their eyes, or they kind of shake their head or something. And it's a part of them, so they can't change it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But even though they look different or something, but I've no, I haven't noticed this before in like other things that Lucy's done. But I noticed it in My Life Is Murder a few times where I go, "Oh, that's from Zena." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I know. 
<laughs> it wasn't. It, it was perfectly within character. It was perfectly what is she supposed to do in that scene, and she was doing exactly the way you would expect her to. But you, if you've been a fan of Xena, and you see her do certain things. And it's not always that way, because when she was Lucretia in Spartacus, there was nothing of Xena in that character. You know what I mean? I, it's weird. To, I can't even just explain it. <laughs> it. It's something I just noticed. I, I've noticed that... Um, it's just like... Um, I didn't know Effie Davis before Miss Fisher, but then I found uh -huh. out I had seen her in other movies. She's such a chameleon. And then uh, when I rewatch those shows, I go, oh, okay, I should have known it was her when I was watching right. her as Miss Fisher because same gesture, same movement of the head, same this and same that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, same. You know what I mean? It's, it, it takes being a fan to catch that stuff. If you're, just, if you're just watching it as a movie and you're seeing this person as an actor, mm -hmm. they can... They're a chameleon. They're they're just totally different in every show, and you don't notice it. Yeah. And I yeah. I I mean I've seen it with you too. I mean it's I you can't help to pick up the little bits and pieces of actors. Yeah, for sure. Yep. I think that's right. Does that make any sense? <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. I um I got to work with Michael Cimino, the the director who um he passed away a few years ago, but he directed the Deer Hunter, um, which was such an amazing movie. Was, and yeah. One of the things he said to me was, um, no matter what uh the character is, you it's always you. You always bring the character to yourself and play it that way. Don't ever stretch yourself over to the character. That makes sense. Interesting advice, right? Yeah. Actually, it's really yeah. good advice. Well, it stops somebody from overacting. <laughs> sure. Yeah, putting on any kind of false... Because, you know, you can't, you can't do that in film. It just picks up everything. Yeah. Although, you see... I, I don't know. Um, there's some I actors know. that you no. see chew the scenery sometimes pretty bad um <laughs> yeah it's interesting i mean i don't i don't know that there are any rules you know i don't know that you can i don't know that he's right every single time 100 percent of the time but um but it's an interesting it's an interesting idea to chew on you know yeah absolutely um before we go you're you have something coming up you're 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 doing a video oh yeah i'm directing a music video um, for a, a musician, a singer-songwriter named Sam Barron. Um, and yeah, I'm just in pre-production with it now. I'm going to be in it also. Um, but uh, directing it is 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 really where my head is right now. It's um, it's a song called Karaoke Queen. It's a really sweet song about a, a woman who um, whose day-to-day -day life is pretty bleak. And um, but then at night she gets on the stage and she's a karaoke queen, and uh, and this video is a, sort of a love a love letter a love story to uh, to music and the arts for its ability to transform us and transmute mm, loneliness and isolation and struggle into beauty and hope and joy. So it's uh it's timely. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And the musicians are really struggling right now. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many people are. The arts, actors, theater, first responders, essential workers, I mean, teachers, God bless them. Yeah. So many people are really going through all of us. I mean, really everyone, you know, different people to Somebody said we're all in the same boat. We're definitely not all in the same boat. Some people have yachts, and some people have rafts, and some people are clutching to a, a plank of wood. <laughs> um, but it's definitely challenging. Boy, Everybody's some, um, some people are, um, you know, 
some people are just so isolated and really haven't seen anyone in almost a year, and some people are living under a pile of people and have absolutely no privacy at all. You know, it's just it's just such an interesting time to be alive. <laughs> it is. It is. It's just yeah. a strange world right now. Let's let's hope that it gets better. Yes. Yes. Let's build it better. Let's do it. We can do it. I mean, we've seen, you know, in the last year how much we're capable of. We really can change when we need to. We really can envision a better way to do things. Um, so I, I am holding in the light this idea of us, you know, choosing to lift each other up and choosing to come together and, you know, build a better life for us and the planet and the animals and the air and the water and all the things we need, and this is an opportunity to do it. You know, here we are. We have to, we can't go back. We're only going forward. So hopefully, hopefully we'll find a way to do it in a way that's good for everybody. I hope so. Um, for those people who haven't heard you before, do you have a website? Oh, it's under construction. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. It's, uh, it's alexandertidings.com. And, you know, it, it was up, and then I made the terrible mistake of trying to tweak it, and then it all just went dark, <gasps> and I, I have to go back in there and deal with it. Um, but I am on, you know, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all that fun stuff. What are you um, un under? Are you under just Alex Tidings or A Tidings? How are you listed? A Tidings, A-T-Y-D-I-N-G-S, is that's me on Instagram. And... Twitter, let me see if I can find myself. It's at Alex Tidings, A-L-E-X-T-Y-D-I-N-G-S. Someone told me I should keep them all the same, but that was like 17 years after I set them up. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then Facebook is Alexander Tidings. Yeah, none of them are the same. Um, this is like what not to do. A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A. Uh, new word T-Y-D-I-N-G-S and you can tell it's me sometimes there's some imposters I'm pretty obvious when it's me I'm pretty political apologies if that bothers anyone I am definitely progressive I do not hide it um, happy Black History Month everyone <laughs> by the way Black History Month is American history as we all know but uh, you know anyway you know, sending light to Good, good things moving forward. I hope, and uh, yeah. So you can tell it's me because it's a, uh, it's a little political. It's a little spiritual. Sometimes it's got some personal stuff. Um, Cat, you know. Hope it's a little uplifting from time to time. What was that, Sherry? Cats. Cats. Yeah, there were a lot of kittens. We had COVID kittens earlier this spring, which was just so amazing and wonderful and exciting and delightful and um they've all made their way to their their wonderful homes and um a few of them have made their way to homes of, of close friends of mine so i get to keep tabs i saw pictures of one of them today she lives in upstate and she's just she lives in a house with an enormous pit bull and two other cats and this little kitten has taken over everything <laughs> everybody else, like, when they're allowed to sleep on the dog beds. <laughs> the answer is no. Um, she's just having so much fun. And I, you know, we have the mama still, of course, and then we, we got to keep one of the boys who's just so delightful and fun, and they light up my life. How's the... How's, dog. how's the kitten getting along with your dog? Oh, they... They... They tell him what to do. They run the house. Um, he's fine, but um, they really... He would really like to... He keeps trying to get them to play, and they just won't. Just <laughs> they have Kitten Olympics at 3.30 in the morning. They fly around the house and tumble around. But um, but they're just not interested in dog playing. He does that enormous, you know, adorable, cute little puppy bow, um, and they're just like, whatever, I'm not interested. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they all they get along just fine, you know. Mine does it at my cat does uh, her Olympics uh, after her. My brother gives her a late night snack, so it's around nine, ten, eleven, something like that. <laughs> and that's when she goes nuts, <laughs> running around like a maniac. 
an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 